0: 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 21. Begin to read reading through to the uh, end of the chapter. Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half of the people followed uh, Tibni, the son of Ganath, to make him king, and half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ganath. So Tibni died, and Omni reigned. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Amri became the king over Israel and reigned 12 years. Six years he reigned in uh, Tirzah and he, brought, he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemar, Shemar for two talents of silver. Then he built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built Samaria after the name of Shemar, owner of the hill. Amri did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and did worse than all who were before him. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin, by which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Amri, which he did, and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Amri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. Then Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Amri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Amri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Now, Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria, and Ahab made a wooden image, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel in anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hael of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his younger son, Segub. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Uh, may the Lord bless this reading to our Understanding. Next week I'm going to deal with this fellow who mentioned at the end of the, ta- the text Hiel of Bethel and his two sons because that's quite a story in and of itself. But here we turn today to the rising up of Ahab and, um, and I've entitled the sermon A Study of Ahab's Evil because in a sense Ahab is a kind of antichrist or at least a follower of antichrist. And it's amazing, as I've already spoken in the prayer, it's amazing that here in Israel, the, 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 the vine that God planted in this eastern Mediterranean area to represent the redeemed, to represent the elect, it's amazing that in this planting, that so soon after the demise of Solomon, there would be this inclination or this retrogression, this devolution into the reign of an antichrist kind of figure, Ahab. And it uh, it should warn all of us then beware, uh, beware he who stands lest he fall. Uh, beware, we all ought to beware in our Christian lives when we are in the covenant, when we're walking with Christ. We all ought to beware of the tendency and the proclivity and the possibility of us throwing off the faith that we have been professing. If that faith is not rooted in the Holy Spirit within us, then it's uh, it's weak as water. But if it's rooted in the Spirit, then the Spirit will never let go of that which he has come to save and bring us all the way through to the day of our death, the fulfillment of our confession, where we shall rejoice with Christ. So uh, this is this this very interesting study that we have before us that the Lord has set before us, and in the Bible the Lord um, focused in a major way on Ahab and Jezebel to warn us of these things and to to get us to realize how how toxic and powerful uh, the sin. Within us, the sin that besieges us uh, really was. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel are known not for any any false reason. God himself has ordained that this this man, he gave Ahab over more and more to his sin and to Jezebel. And um, and so it's there for a reason that we might learn of it and apply it to our lives. So we we intend so to do today. Now, there are three aspects to uh, Ahab's evil that I pointed out here in the outline. The first is um, Ahab's ancestors and antecedents. Ahab did not rise up out of nothing, uh, like a meteor flashing across the sky, where there was no light a moment before, and now we see this tremendous meteoric light flashing across the sky. No, there was uh, the, the, Ahab had antecedents, he had ancestors in this evil. And we'll look at that, and then we see. Secondly, the degrees of evil in Ahab's life that we that God intends for us to learn by and to uh, be armed by that we would try to avoid the degrees or the um, the dimensions of Ahab's evil as we are warned about it in this text, and then. Lastly, we see that this line of Ahab, or, a hard, or this line of Jeroboam, hardened and apostatized through Ahab in even a worse way than had happened before. All of these these three dimensions are all there for us that we might learn of them and apply that to our own lives. So, first of all, let's look at Ahab's ancestors and antecedents, and we see that hinted at in verse 21, where. Uh, it, it focuses on Omri's um, reign. Uh, he was the, the, um, the uh, father of Ahab. And uh, it gives us a picture of what happened after Jeroboam, that wicked king that uh, was uh, instrumental in um, separating the northern ten tribes from Judah and Benjamin in the south. And it focuses on that. And uh, so verse 21 says that when the people of Israel were divided, then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Now, this is two parts on top of two parts. They were already divided between the north and the south. And I alluded to this in a sermon about four weeks ago, that these inclinations that we have when, when the, uh, when the, the, Magnetic north of a compass is disturbed when, uh, when a compass is demagnetized or something like that. It's not like the magnetic north fails, but our compasses can fail. And when they fail, the compass no longer gives us a true reading. And so then we not only lost basically, but we're in profoundly, but we tend to be lost immediately. Our, every day that we use that compass, we tend to, uh, to be run askew or amiss. And so it was with Israel. So as soon as they as soon as Jeroboam divided off, then there were then the people that he had divided off, they were divided once again in two parts. Um, and uh, half of the people followed this man named Tibni, who was a kind, of, a kind of king, the son of Ganath, to make him king. And uh, but then there were others who followed Amri. And the the ultimately the group that followed Amri prevailed over the other group. And so Omri became the, the, the uh, most important king, not a good king, but a, a signal king or a significant king after the, after the work of civil war and division that Jeroboam did. <clears throat> and so it says Omri prevailed over the people who followed uh, Tibni. So Tibni died, died and Omri reigned. Verse 23, in the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, uh, Omri became king over Israel. Now, that what's pregnant there is that Asa was the better king of Judah. And Judah, from the time of this division between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, uh, when the nation was united and then they divided up, um, <clears throat> from that time on, <clears throat> um, Asa the king of judah who was the better king had had prevailed and had been able to maintain his cause and so uh, it's a signal that the, uh, the judah who was the more sound kingdom uh, it had errors within it but not the not the significance of evil that the northern ten tribes had um, so this is a, this is this tells us teaches us something about god's care over us and the fact that even as the northern ten tribes began to devolve worse, that the, the southern tribes uh, and their king, Asa ruled before all of this happened. He ruled all, after all of this happened. Asa, while he was not perfect, God blessed his reign. And, and he was a signal of God's security and, and uh, God's stability. Whereas the very opposite takes place in the north. And so it says it it, it dates these northern kings by the reign of the good king Asa or the better king Asa, I should say. And so uh, Omni becomes king over Israel and reigned 12 years. Um, All this time that he's reigning, Asa's reigning. um, And then he, he bought the hill of Syria. Now, when we come to Jesus in the New Testament and he meets the Samaritan woman, you see, all of this goes back to this day here, when uh, Amri buys the, the the hill of Samaria and uh, plants the city there in Samaria. And you can go there today on tours of Israel, and you can stand on top of the mountain and uh, and look out across the valley. And this was the very mountain that when Joshua brought the people into Israel, they stood on this mountain and they read the covenant, and uh, they they God told. Joshua to name the one mountain Gerizim where they were standing, and the other mountain—slips um, uh, slips my mind momentarily—but he said Gerizim would be the 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 mount that stood for good and a covenant obedience, and then Ebal, the Mount Ebal across the way, would stand for covenant disobedience. And he wanted the people to see these two mountains. Uh, The one standing for good and obedience and covenant renewal. The other standing for rebellion. So here they are, uh, years later, after that, standing on uh, this mountain. By then it had been bought by somebody else. It it had developed no special significance after the people of Israel came into the land and read the covenant at this place. And so, um, but knowing of some of the... um, the past and the significance of the historical past of this place, or Amri moves to buy the land for himself and to plant a city there. Now, he has designs to make a new Jerusalem, a humanistic Jerusalem, a Jerusalem not after the commands of the Lord, but a, a, a city that would solidify and excite the people of the north who were deviating from God's ways. And so um, it tells here in this passage where Omri, Omri bought this hill, but then in verse 25 it says, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and worse than all who were before him, for he walked in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Nebat in his sin by which he made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God. Notice how the Bible is so personal. Uh, when we When we break God's law, we are doing we are doing something uh, unethical. We are doing something that we can speak of in terms of abstract ethics or general laws, but we are also doing something personal against the Lord. And when you do something personal, uh, it provokes the other person to wrath. And so, in this case, where it, it said the text says that it provoked the Lord God to wrath, and this was this was Jeroboam, uh, this was Amri. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, worse than all who were before him, verse 25, and uh, walked in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Um, And then it transitions to Ahab. And in verse 28, it says, So Amri rested, then Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. And in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. So Asa, the better king, is reigning and reigning and reigning some more. Meanwhile, Israel, the northern ten tribes, and their political system is going through these convulsions of dissonance, uh, disability, um, revolt. And uh, and all the while, Asa is the king of Judah. So in his 38th year of reigning, Ahab, son of Omri, becomes king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So you can see the gradations here, the development, the evolution of evil here in the land, where Omri did evil, so much more evil than those who were before him. And then Ahab did did evil more evil than his, even his father. So in our lives, brothers and sisters, we can... We can either be on an ascendant curve or we can be on a descendant curve. Each one of us, look at your life, trace your life. Is your life ascendant or descendant? Which direction? You can do it. You can analyze yourself. You can look at the things of your life. Are you in the the ways of stability or is your your life marked by more uh, instability? In Israel's case, in the Northern Ten Tribes, they Once they separated from Jerusalem and the temple and the, the leadership of, of uh, the kings of Judah, they just went downhill, downhill, and downhill some more. They got their own way. They did some interesting things. Ahab, it says, planted many cities in the north. Ahab was a man who was fairly bright and intelligent. He was not without gifts. He was a, he was a far, more, far more effective king, uh, king than our current president, Mr. Biden who just appears to just stumble and bumble. And everything he tries to do turns out to be wrong and uh, counterintuitive and counterproductive. Ahab was not a man who was so so stupid as this. He was, in a sense, he was stupid and evil. He was worse and evil than all of those who before him. But he had a native intelligence about himself. So the two do not always go together. And we, in our lives, we ought not to esteem Uh, intelligence if it's humanistic. Intelligence if it's things that, that we dream up, that we codify in our lives, that we totemize, make like a totem pole in our lives. The things that we have done. So many of our cultural leaders today are men like this. They want to point to their own achievements, and they esteem their own achievements as as brilliant as they sometimes are, like Ahab's, they they want to enjoy those or uh, totemize those or celebrate those over and against their simple and uh, could be wonderful allegiance to the living God. So it was with Omri, so it was with Ahab. Now the first point here is that that, uh, Ahab had a whole fraternity of ancestors that uh, had preceded him and if you look I've got some of the names there after Jeroboam there was Nadab Basha Elah Amri and then finally Ahab uh, most of these men only reigned for two years or three uh, uh, even shorter than that sometimes uh, but the uh, there's a connection there's a line a lineage here what lineage are we in are we in a lineage that comes from Christ and that proceeds from victory to victory like the New Testament says, or are we a careless group that uh, are more like uh, King Ahab who followed uh, Jeroboam, Nadab, Basha, Elah, Amri. Where is our lineage? Ahab had antecedents and when we get to the worst part of it here in his reign, we see all of the the, um, prerequisites, the, the ancestral evil that preceded him that developed here into him. And as God gave more and more freedom and more and more reign to these evil kings of the north. Now, the second point that I want to bring out <clears throat> is Ahab's degrees of evil. Evil is evil. Uh, evil is black, as it might be said, and, uh, and uh, goodness is uh, bright or white, as, uh, as it's sometimes portrayed on the color chart. Um, some people don't want to notice that there are degrees of evil, even as there is the concept of evil. And um, you know, in our in our uh, shorter catechism, and asks, are all sins equally heinous? And the answer is no. Some are worse than others. It doesn't mean that any one sin won't take you to hell. That's true. Every sin is evil and all evil will take us to hell. But... There are in this in this world there are degrees of evil also, the point being that we ought to prefer the better over the worse. Now, if you're a person who doesn't who's a kind of slothful of mind and lazy and doesn't want to study this out, then you'll just say, Well, you'll you'll deny this idea of the degrees of evil, and it will make you lazy in terms of If you you deny the degrees of evil, it's kind of like a staircase. If you deny the staircase, well, then you'll never get on it. You'll never climb at all. You'll say, well, if I'm not on the staircase, then I won't go down. But that's a false illusion, because uh, on every floor, the stairs go up and the stairs go down until you're on the bottom floor or the very top floor. And in life, it's that way, too. Uh, We always have the possibility of going down, even if we don't believe that the, the staircase proceeds before us downward and so in this case we ought to realize that uh, that understanding that evil has degrees is a good thing because then we will esteem the good and we will try to do better well we won't deny the the, um, uh, the evil and I see this working today in politics that, that uh, people will say they um, that uh, that they just uh, even as they they f- f- uh, Refuse to admit to the degrees of evil uh, in that uh, that we see all around us. They'll they'll refuse to uh, admit to the degrees of evil or the degrees of goodness that are uh, on the other side. Now I I lament. I I would say neither po- political party today really um, is a Christian party. Neither party neither party holds up the Lord as the as the paradigm. Uh, for good. And so as a result, both parties, we could call both parties humanistic. And in that sense, we can argue that that's why we're in such a trouble today. There There are worse and there are better, but because both parties have separated themselves from the Lord, both parties, neither party, I should say, is really as helpful as it could be or as it ought to be. But having said that, then we look at the politics of the day, and I think it's not too hard to see that, that one party is basically much better than the other, even though it has this very rudimentary problem at its foundation. And so there are those that are caught. You see it in the news all the time where people just throw up their hands and they, they argue that there's an equal ultimacy to the evil of the day. And that, that's a trick of the devil because then they, they never have to make, make better choices over worse choices. For them, uh, every choice is evil. Uh, There's no getting out of the morass that we're in. But the Lord says, no, press on. The Lord puts before us the idea or the picture picture of a pilgrimage. And it says, yes, the most important thing is to to set your way on the the way of that pilgrimage. But like the rich young ruler, uh, he saw that in Christ, he saw a better way. Now, he defaulted from that using this kind of image that there's no, that there's no degrees of evil and that there's just the world's a totally lost idea. We just can't make any good choices at all. So he went his way neglecting the Messiah who was right standing right before him. So we ought to realize that these degrees of evil are really, really significant. And uh, what we see that the Lord teaches us that in the the two kings of Rehoboam and Jeroboam, their their the development after both of these kings. Now Rehoboam, if you remember, when Solomon died, Rehoboam was his son, and Sol- and, and and the Bible condemns both Rehoboam and Jeroboam. But he condemns Jeroboam worse, as we see here in these texts. Rehoboam was kind of a foolish man. He, he neglected the, the wealth and the, uh, the wonders of David and Solomon, his grandfather and his father. And so when he came to the throne, he, he said to the people, if you, th- if you think you've been um, whipped by harsh whips by my, my father Solomon, uh, you'll be. I'll, I'll whip you with a whip of asps, which is a poisonous spider. And, and so, the very first thing he did was alienate the people of Israel, and this this set the the ten tribes of the north on a a, a, a rebe- course of rebellion. But uh, Rehoboam did not help that. He agitated that. Rehoboam was foolish. But nowhere does it speak of Rehoboam like it does of Jeroboam or Amri or Ahab. because um, Rehoboam, despite his foolishness and some people in the Bible trace this to his youth, despite his foolishness, Rehoboam began to learn. And Rehoboam began to repent and the, were God brought enemies against Rehoboam and Rehoboam learned that he was he was doing evil and so he repented of these things and the Bible says God gave uh, God delivered Rehoboam and set him on a better course. And so in Rehoboam, in Rehoboam's life, if you trace that to the lineage there, uh, you see uh, that uh, uh, the kings after him uh, ended up arriving at Asa. And there weren't that many, but Asa, Asa became a better king, and then uh, his son became better than him. And uh, yes, it, it, Judah ultimately went downhill too. But these two kings uh, went in different directions, and uh, this, because they were choosing uh, the, the better degrees of righteousness versus evil. Now, if we turn to Second Chronicles, um, Second Chronicles, chapter eleven, verse 3, 13 this is in, now in, in the book of Kings is constantly pointing us to the book of Chronicles for more details on what happened, what they're talking about in Kings. So here are more details here of this of the, the reign after Rehoboam. We see in chapter 11, we see Rehoboam mentioned in verse 5 and then in verse um, it, it tells about what, the things that he did and then in verse 13 it says from all their Territories, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel—that is, the northern ten tribes—took their stand with him. In other words, as the as uh, the evil of the north developed, as Jeroboam, Jeroboam was involved in paganism and false gods, and as that developed, and as Jeroboam forbid the people to go south to for the major feast days of the year. This is what happened. From all their territories, the priests and the Levites, who were in all Israel, the ten tribes, took their stand with him, that is, with Rehoboam. For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests of the Lord. Then he appointed for himself priests uh, for the high places, for the demons, and for the calf of idols which he had made. And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. So this was passive resistance by the godly people of northern Israel and and by the godly priests and Levites. Verse 17, so they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong for three years because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. So what this picture is of this sifting that's taking place in Israel at this time. And uh, based on the leadership of the church of that day, namely the priests and the Levites, uh, the priests and the Levites said, if we're being forbidden to worship, to, to take the people down to Jerusalem, we're going to emigrate. And they did. They emigrated from these northern ten tribes, the lands of the northern ten tribes. And, you know, the Levites did not inherit any land for themselves, a distinctive tribal area. But they 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 that God gave them um, uh, family lands within each of the tribes that they could establish lands that belong to the church of that day where they could uh, they could establish some spiritual stability for the people. And so what it's saying here is that they left these lands that they had inherited uh, from their parents uh, that had been given by Joshua in, that, in the day of the separation of the land. They they left these lands and they moved to Israel. And then it says that the people of the northern ten tribes who were godly people, they too began to cast their... They, they, they refused Jeroboam's false worship and they would go to the south. They would migrate to the south, sometimes... Um, probably harassed by Jeroboam and his people, but nonetheless they chose the the right way. And um, and so they were they refused to igno- they refused to go for this false gospel of no degrees of evil. You know, you you can't really improve yourself. No, they said we're going to we're going to start making good choices and head south. And so this led to a some real blessings. Um, like I said today, the, the, the reason I'm bringing this up is that there are people today that they say, oh, both political parties are, are the same. There's no hope, uh, yada, yada, yada. It's a very discouraging gospel, and it discourages people from even trying to do more righteously. It discour- discourages people from, uh, from following the Levitical priest South to make the better choice. And, and therefore, it is, uh, it's more of Antichrist than it is of Christ. And uh, that's what we see going on here. And that's what Ahab capitalized on the people just giving up and uh, and being ready to throw their lives and their energies and their monies into the way of darkness. <clears throat> and so to go back to our text that we're speaking from this morning, it says that it came to pass at the time of the, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, it, uh, in the thirtieth year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omni, became king over Israel. Now, Ahab, son of Omni, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him uh, to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, that he took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of Sidon, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar to Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. So when Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman, he said, all of this follows. And the Samaria, this is why the Samaritans were a condemned people, because they had, they had identified with this, uh, this uh, evil, corrupt area of the north where the Baal worship had been established by uh, King Ahab. And uh, it's... Uh, it's a it's a graphic thing that he developed this evil. The degrees of evil became became greater in Ahab's reign. First, he he lived in Samaria where Omner, Om, Omri had built this uh, this uh, temple to the north to compete with the temple of the south. But then he goes and he marries. Jezebel, and I love the Bible's terminology here. As though it had been a trivial thing or a small thing for him to do, it he did it. He took as his wife the the daughter of Ethbaal. He took as his daughter the I mean, as as his wife the daughter of a high priest of evil, um, Ethbaal, king of Sidon, and she seduced him more and more into her, her, her evil. And then he he uh, he developed this. The uh, the liturgy and the the church of this this pagan church this anti Christian church he developed that he set up the altar it says in verse 34, 33, 32, for Baal in the temple of Baal which he had built in Jerusalem and he used the, the two he the the golden calves uh, that uh, he made two golden calves to celebrate this which was no, a notorious evil of the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, he goes back to that evil archetype, that paradigm of evil from the past, and he goes and he celebrates it, and he sets these two golden calves up in this temple in the north. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the foolishness and the wickedness of this? But that's what Ahab does, because he's been egged on by his wife. It's an evil thing to let ourselves go and to marry false and evil people like this. And so uh, we ought to try to do better by our marriages than, than worse. Ahab did not have this, though, as his paradigm. And so he did worse rather than better. He, he married one of the most evil women of the ancient world, Jezebel. And ever since then, even people who don't know the Bible will use the term Jezebel as a, as a signal for some woman who's really wicked and determined to do evil. So that even Satan himself identifies the, the evil of these things. And so we see the degrees of evil that, uh, that Ahab fell into became worse and worse and worse. And um, the third point is then that we'll just briefly touch on this, but that uh, all of these things came to a conclusion in the reign of of uh, Ahab. He... he um, He corrupted the religion of the people of the north. Uh, He divided the priesthood. He drove the priests and the Levites out of northern Israel. Uh, He married this polytheist. He served Baal and worshiped them. He established a false church. He shows the the bad effect of a pagan state over the church. In this case, the state influenced the church for evil, and then then the church influenced the state for evil. In the very worst of circumstances, at the time of the Westminster Confession of Faith, they debated the relationship of church and state. And uh, we won't go into all of that, but this shows how that is important and how in our day, the church has an important role. The church today, I would say, is very weak. And yet, in, in its weakness, the church does have some good influences toward the state. And in the midst of our debates about good and evil in our day, oftentimes the church... And the insights of the church will come to the fore. Maybe some famous leader will be asked his opinion and he'll say it. And, uh, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing for the church to inspire the state. It's a good thing for the state to inspire the church, for the two parties to work together in a, a holy fraternity, which is pushed by the Westminster Confession of Faith. The Westminster Confession says much more about the state and its effect upon the church than we do today. And in fact, when the American forms of the confession were done, uh, the leaders who were very influenced by our leaders in the, back in the late 1700s, almost 1800s, they were very influenced by a uh, kind of pietism of that day. Uh, and uh, and they, they began to move away from these things. And so they, they took out where the Westminster Confession talked about the state. They took parts of that out of our confession. And I think is, is uh, debouch the confession at that point. It fails to recognize scriptures such as these that we're dealing with today. The state is the state is under the Lord. The state can have a powerful impression upon the church, or a bad impression upon the church, as it here. And the ch- church can have a great impression upon the state. The two can work together through the Spirit of God for good, or they can just be pietistic about it. Divide the spoils and say that there's no hope with either one. And so all we have to do, all the all, the only hope that the church has is to meet in little groups in hidden caves, and uh, you know, and pray, uh, pray. Not don't pray that the church would change the state. No, that's too big a prayer. That's an ungodly prayer. We need to just pray that the church would somehow change things without having to do anything differently. Well, you see the the iniquity of that and the dead-endedness of that and why that's not good biblical theology either. The original Westminster Confession has it best and strongest. We ought to to go back to that and understand that and apply that to our lives. And so um, the sins of Jeroboam flowered, prospered, uh, matured in his uh, great-grandson Ahab, and uh, so it is with us today. If we disregard the, the great things of the Scripture, the Scripture holds beholds before us a picture of anti-Christian peoples who adhered to anti-Christian ideas, who ultimately were spiritually allied with Antichrist. David and Solomon, um, uh, Rehoboam, ultimately his son Asa, and others who followed after him. Uh, allied themselves with Christ in a a matter of speaking. And until the Lord Jesus Christ came, as we sang in in that psalm this morning, uh, until the Lord Jesus Christ came to fulfill all of the great promises that God had intended through the planting of his vine, Israel, in this dry soil of the Eastern Mediterranean. Let's close by rejoicing in Christ in prayer, our Father and our God. We can see how Christ has brought us to such a better place. We can see how all of those who adhered to the better things of that day worked for the coming of Christ. They were such as were numbered by the humble parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, who had hung on to the goodness and the virtue and the good theology and the yearly feasts that thou didst give Moses. And they'd held on to those until they were rewarded with this baby that was given unto them, even Jesus Christ, who then matured and rose up, not only in the growth of his years, but even in his resurrection from the dead, to claim a kingdom for himself. Bless us, O Lord, to be a part of that kingdom. Help us not to surrender to evil, to the degrees of evil, Uh, to the lineage of evil, to the destiny of evil. But let us link ourselves to the destiny of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.